Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of my podcast, I Am My Best Friend. Today, I'll be talking about intersectionality, which is a tool to better understand discrimination and oppression against people. I'm very, very excited to announce that I have my first guest today. His name is Gabe. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Gabe, and I am a self-proclaimed male feminist. And I've always been very interested in the role men can or should play in taking down the patriarchy, and especially a big fan of using intersectionality as a tool to better understand different forms of oppression that minorities face depending on their individual identities. So yeah, really excited to be here and talk a bit about intersectionality with all of you. Thank you so much. Well, like always, I just want you to sit back and relax and let's get right into it. So before I explain what intersectionality is in a theoretical sense, I want to ask you, Gabe, what you think intersectionality is, what it means. That is a really good question. Over time, I started conceptualizing intersectionality as a framework, as a lens that helps us understand certain experiences that we might otherwise overlook. So if we think of oppression as something dimensional, people facing oppression along certain dimensions, for example, race and nationality, but not along others, such as sex and sexuality, intersectionality helps us understand the experiences of people where some of these identities and some of these oppressions come together, not just in an additive sense, but it compounds. So someone that is a woman and black does not just face those two oppressions, but there is also an additional oppression that comes from being a black woman. And this is what intersectionality is really useful for. It helps us understand um, certain cases that might otherwise be overlooked in big movements, such as the feminist or the civil rights movement. And that is why I'm a very big fan of intersectionality, as it helps us really zoom in on certain experiences that might otherwise be overlooked. Thank you very much for your answer. I think you explained intersectionality in a very intuitive and accessible way. So I hope you, the listeners, understand your perspective of intersectionality. Now, as I said before, I would like to go a bit into the theory of intersectionality, where the term originated from. So in the 1980s, a professor named Kimberly Crenshaw wrote a paper about intersectionality. This was one of the first times it was really mentioned in an academic sense and in the field of law. In this paper, she used three different law cases to describe what intersectionality is and to demonstrate how black women were vulnerable and are vulnerable to being discriminated for being black, for being female, and usually for being both a black woman. And so I want to explain her perspective on intersectionality using one of the law cases she mentioned in her paper. So one of the law cases Crenshaw mentions occurred in 1976 and here five black women sued a company called General Motors because of a policy which denied these women the opportunity to get a job at the company. The issue was that the judge said that legally there was neither gender discrimination nor race discrimination. And his argument was that there was no gender discrimination because this specific firm hired white women. And there was no race discrimination because this firm also hired black men, usually as security guards. And so the judge was able to legally say there's neither gender nor race discrimination. However, the policy still denied black women specifically 
the opportunity to work at General Motors, and this was the problem. Kimberly Crenshaw then was the first one to use the term intersectionality in a legal and academic sense. But it's very important to know that intersectionality has always been a problem. Intersectional oppression has always affected thousands and millions of people. So this is nothing new at all, just that this term was first used in an academic sense with Kimberly Crenshaw. And now we're going to move on into a bit of intersectional feminism and also how you, Gabe, are affected by intersectionality. Great. So let's move on to intersectional feminism. What is it exactly and why do we need it? That is a really good question. And I just want to start by saying I really agree with the point you made that this phenomenon of different identities coming together to create a new and separate form of oppression has always existed. And that's something I really agree with. And that is why Kimberly Crenshaw's work is so important. Finally gave us a language and tools to understand that by referring to it as intersectionality. That is why this is a super important tool when we try to discuss other liberation movements, be it the civil rights movement, be it the environmentalist movement, or in our case today, the feminist cause as a whole. Historically, if we think about first and second wave feminism, these were incredibly important movements that helped level the playing field between the sexes with things like voting rights, generally autonomy and things like that. And that was incredibly important. The only issue with the first two waves of feminism is that a lot of them were spearheaded by white upper class women or definitely women that came from stronger socioeconomic standings. While a lot of the things they advocated for advantaged all of the women, their struggles did not represent the struggles of all women. And that is something when intersectionality is really powerful. It helps us break down something like the feminist cause, because the feminist cause is not a monolith. Within feminism, you have so many different ideas on how to solve issues. You have so many different experiences. You have so many different struggles. That is something that the first and second wave of feminism often overlooked a bit. That is why the third wave of feminism was quite powerful, because it helped break down the feminist cause into different separate struggles to really ensure that different experiences were captured under the big umbrella of feminism. And intersectionality is a really strong tool to help with that because it helps us break down the experiences of certain women whose experience is not the same as those main advocates. So for example, women of color, queer women, trans women, etc. And intersectionality really helps us understand their specific challenges. How, for example, being a woman and being queer, you have, you know, both the discriminations of being a woman and being queer, but you also have this additional, this special discrimination, this compounded discrimination, which might be stronger for being a queer woman. And that is so incredibly important to ensure that when we as feminists try to advance the cause, we really make sure that all those experiences and all those struggles are addressed and everyone benefits from the policies that we advocate for. This is why I think intersectional feminism is so important. It is really just to ensure that no one falls through the cracks and that we really have a tool to understand the experience of the most marginalized people within our feminist community. That is why I've always been a big fan of intersectionality and why I will continue using it to understand different liberation movements. Thank you so much for this explanation. One thing that you said really stuck out to me, which was that within feminism, you want 
every single voice to be heard which means that the most marginalized people need to be just as heard as privileged white women and that no one may fall through the cracks as you say that's the most important part about feminism every single person is really heard my next question is how are you affected by intersectionality on a day-to-day basis I want to kind of split out the answer into two parts. On one hand is, in terms of how I'm affected, is how it helps me understand my own experiences and helps me with self-work and understanding some of my own traumas in the past and some of my own difficulties. And on the other hand, in terms of how it affects me a bit more around how I can use it to be more empathetic to others, how I can use it to become a better ally and a better advocate for some of the liberation movements I'm passionate about and also in that dimension, how it can help me when I advocate for solutions to make sure that the solutions don't leave anyone behind. So I think those are kind of the two points. So kind of how it helps me with internal work and how it helps me with other people. From an internal perspective, it's been really powerful in understanding some of my struggles around mental health. Sometimes men have more difficult relationship with mental health due to the very rigid image or role of what it means to be a man, what masculinity should be in our society. Very much it is about being strong, about not allowing any emotions other than anger and bottling up a lot of the things we feel. And that alone is already a really big struggle and that is why the suicide rates among young men are incredibly high. And that by itself is already a big struggle. For me then, there's also this other side of mental health in countries like Colombia, where where I'm from as well, where I'm um, half Colombian. There's this dimension there where mental health is something that is not spoken about, something that is often dismissed. And it's still also very similar in the other country I'm from, in Austria. And I think that often leads to a very interesting mix. It's this one side telling me I'm not allowed to feel emotions, And this other side that when these emotions become overwhelming and start manifesting themselves through ill mental health, like depressive episodes, kind of this other side telling me something like depression doesn't really exist and it's just a lack in myself, it is laziness, it is me just trying to find an excuse. And together this really creates this this paralyzing sort of mental health challenges, which are just like the cycle of me blaming myself for the way I feel, and then still trying to keep down the way I feel, that just making it worse. And when I then really am paralyzed, blame myself for being depressed. And it leads to this really (laughs) ridiculous little vicious cycle that keeps holding me down. And intersectionality really allowed me to kind of unpack that a bit more and understand how both of these feed into each other to create like this, this new demon that I'm struggling with and really helped me tackle both at the same time and also tackle them separately. So I think that's something that has been very powerful in terms of mental health, this intersection between being male and being from a Latinx country where mental health is just not something that exists where people just say that doesn't exist and it's not not taken seriously. So that's where it really helped me on a personal level. Then there's the other side as well, which is equally important around how intersectionality helped me be a better ally and also helped me be a better thinker within the liberation movement I'm passionate about. So within the allyship space, I ran a lot of workshops at my work around diversity and inclusion and really helped me understand how certain colleagues' experiences are very unique and how often they're overlooked by a lot of the diversity and inclusion policies. And really by understanding 
their experience as not being exclusively um, for one identity, but really the, the result out of the combination of different identities helped me always kind of think differently about um, different policies and projects we're implementing in this diversity and inclusion space to ensure that policies that come from a good intention do not actually harm some of the people that are supposed to be helped by it. So that was one very powerful thing. And then just in other spaces, I think intersectionality really allowed me to understand better how certain solutions that are often proposed, such as how everyone should just drive an electric car and we should just like put up the price of a fuel for everyone, can have actually really negative effects on certain people. We think, oh, you know, there's like this one dimension environment, but no, there's like this socioeconomic dimension. So people cannot afford electric cars and need to drive with their own cars. And if we then just hike up fuel prices, we're actually hurting these groups and then they're kind of suffering twice. You know, they're still affected by the climate change but then now also badly these policies that are supposed to tackle climate change and they face like this very unique form of oppression discrimination that really helped me think differently about uh, policy solutions and in some of the liberation movements I'm interested in so I think that was also really powerful in my own kind of academic and kind of a bit more um, intellectual career. Thank you so much for this answer. I really love that you split it up into two parts and told us how it affects you personally and also how it helps you be more empathetic with others. I really think that made intersectionality once again very accessible to the audience, to everyone listening. My next question is very, very related to our podcast, which is called I Am My Best Friend. And for being your best friend or for being self-compassionate, it is very important to be empathetic with yourself. So my question is, how can you be empathetic with yourself in terms of intersectionality? I think a lot of us don't want to acknowledge that we are affected by intersectionality because we always think that other people are worse off. So how can you deal with that and be more compassionate with yourself? That is, I think, a really good question as well. And I think too often people think of oppression as some sort of competition, that there is always someone who is more oppressed. But oppression is absolute and not relative. So any form of oppression or discrimination is something that should be taken seriously and deserves care and compassion. Where intersectionality comes into play in this conversation is that I think it helps you see how difficult some struggles can be that otherwise you might have overlooked. So for example, I know other men that struggle way less with uh, mental health. And for a long time, I thought, you know, if, if they can do it, why, why can I not figure it out? And intersectionality then kind of helped me understand that, you know, some of the struggles I'm facing from both the inside and the outside are compounded due to the special combination of my identities, you know, being also queer. And that really helped me be less hard on myself because I, so you know, it's not, I'm not facing the exact same struggle as my friend to the, to the right of me or to the left of me, but I'm facing this unique struggle which might require a longer path of healing. And I think that is where intersectionality is really powerful because it helps us understand our experiences as individual experiences with individual challenges. And I think that the logical next step is that, okay, if I have like this unique challenge, I deserve unique care. So I shouldn't be as hard on myself just because someone who I share one identity with has, you know, has managed to come out of it. 
so yeah, I think that's where intersectionality really has helped me with my self-care as well, just being less hard on myself and understanding that everyone has their own struggles and that I need to see them as such as well, that I just cannot solve it the same way as any other man would solve them, but I need to solve them as, you know, as who I am, a queer man, a queer biracial man. And I think that is where intersectionality has been really powerful in my self-care. Thank you so much, Gabe, for your insights on how you view intersectionality and how it affects your life on a day-to-day basis and also how you can use it as a tool to be more empathetic with other people. I thought your explanations were very, very personal and, again, accessible and easily understandable for, for everyone. And so I really want to thank you for being here today, for sharing how you feel about this topic and being so vulnerable with us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. I I really feel privileged to be your first guest and I really enjoyed being here. I think thinking of intersectionality also in more practical terms around self-care and allyship and compassion is really important because, yes, um, Kimberly Crenshaw's work in the academic space has been crucial and has like laid the foundations, but I also think that intersectionality is such a powerful tool that it, we can leverage in so many dimensions of our life, and that is why yeah, I always love um, speaking about how we can use it also for smaller things and for our day to day. So yeah, really happy to have been here and yeah, a really nice meeting all of you. I can't tell you how happy I am that you, Gabe, were my first guest ever. Thank you to my audience, like always. Thank you for being here and I hope you have a great, great evening, great day. Whatever is ahead of you, you'll get through it and know that you are loved. We love you so much. Have a great day. See you next week. Bye.